Hello, it's been another thrilling year in the world of local sport and in the next hour we'll round up all the biggest stories involving our teams and sports people. We'll look back at Cambridge United's great escape and the departure of Mark Bonner, the start of the post-Lansky era at Histon, Cambridge IUFC's promotion, the boat race and more. My name is Daniel Baker and we'll hear about the highs. It was a bit like a, a Hollywood blockbuster the whole of last season. And the lows. But it's not enjoyable, it's not enjoyable at all. As we look back at what 2023 had to offer. Cambridge United went into the final day of the 2022-23 season, needing a minor miracle to survive relegation to League Two. Staying up seemed at best a remote possibility following a run of just one win in 15 matches, a 1-0 home triumph over Oxford United. But the U's did come into some form in April, with three wins in four, including a 2-0 victory over rivals Peterborough United. A 2-1 away win in April at fellow strugglers Accrington gave the U's a lifeline, but defeat to Burton Albion in the penultimate game of the season dealt them a huge blow. Going into the final day, Cambridge needed to beat Forest Green Rovers at a sold-out Abbey Stadium and for Morecambe and the MK Dons to drop points to stay up. But the stars aligned and the U's won 2-0 thanks to goals from fan favourite Harrison Dunk and Sam Smith, and other results went their way on a nervy Sunday afternoon. From the Terrace's host, Tim Armitage says the club survived the hard way, despite the excitement the final day had to offer. If we'd won one or two more that we should have won and we got some more draws, we could have been 10, 12 points ahead of where we are now and all of this would have been, we'd have had a, a very boring end to the season where we're playing for literally nothing, not going to go up, not going to go down. And and that, yeah, I mean, it's great that the excitement's kept to the end, but we'd rather have been in the position where there was nothing to play for at the end of, uh, at the, end of the season. So what did head coach Mark Bonner make of their great escape? We had to win the game firstly and that was the task. We've done that but then in the end the other side of it second half was just seeing what happened elsewhere and that was that was horrible. It's actually a great way for it to end for everyone because it's drama but it's not enjoyable. It's not enjoyable at all. A relieved Bonner also said it was a team effort on and off the pitch that kept his side up. Now, board of directors and owners absolutely deserve it. What they're doing for our club, the stability they've given us, uh, the finance that they've given us to keep us growing, and, and the loyalty they've shown to me, to us, to stick with it. Let's be honest, most football clubs would have changed their manager during this season. I'm delighted that they didn't because I think we're trying to build something as a group. Cambridge United had fallen into the drop zone on January the 14th, but climbed out of it on that tense final day. 2023 began with a crushing 5-0 defeat at Sheffield Wednesday, but five wins in their last nine games proved to be crucial. There had been calls to sack Bonner, and as we know, that happened in late November. More on that later. But back to the summer, and as expected, there were several outgoings, and top goalscorer Sam Smith was perhaps the most notable departure. He was followed out of the door by the likes of Lloyd-Jones, Harvey Nibbs, Joe Ironside, Dimitar Mitov, Liam O'Neill and Greg Taylor. And five new signings were made. Danny Andrew, goalkeeper Jack Stevens, Jordan Cousins, Elias Kachunga, and a familiar face returned, former Loney Sully Kakai, who this time joined on a permanent deal. In other player news, used midfielder George Thomas, who arrived on a short-term deal in January, signed a new two-year contract in June. He says he was eager to stay at the Abbey Stadium. I was buzzing to get it sorted in the end. I mean, I really enjoyed my time at the club at the end of last season. Great bunch of lads, good manager, and we had a good end to the season, and I just wanted to keep that going this season, and I'm looking forward to getting started. Came here in January, got a little bit of a knock as soon as I got here, but then managed to get fit for the last few games, and... Yeah, as I said, just it was a good bunch of lads, made me feel welcome. The fans had plenty to smile about on the opening day of the new season as the U's beat Oxford United 2-0 thanks to goals from Jack Lancaster and debutant Gassan Ahadme, a late summer arrival on loan from Ipswich. The performance was exactly what Mark Bonner was looking for. Yeah, I thought we were excellent. Really good, really good value for the result and I thought the performance was um, was very strong. <coughs> different, different sections within the game, but first 30 minutes was the absolute blueprint for us. I thought we were 
outstanding. And then second half, um, we struggled to get out of our half a little bit, but we never felt under huge pressure. We did have to defend the goal a couple of times, Liam Bennett very well on a couple of occasions. Um, subs made us better, did, did exactly what we needed to do in that period and shifted the game. It's a, it's a really good result and a really good start. They also beat Bristol Rovers and Fleetwood Town by the same 2-0 scoreline. Three wins from their first five games left the Amber Army just outside the playoff places at the end of August. September began with a home match against Reading, and former used midfielder Nibs was back in town along with the television cameras. The host won 1-0 and Bonner was delighted that his players delivered on their big night. When you get a night like this, you know, we're not in the spotlight often or on the stage often, so when we are, we have to try and make it work. So you hope that the club rep represents itself well. I thought the atmosphere was great in the stadium and I hope that came across on the television. And I thought our level was very good as well spirited but good quality in it as well tactically a nice game aggressive um, good tempo about it really good energy from those boys that came off the bench so when you get those chances you've got to, you've got to try and make that work for you and, and look a good side and we did tonight the 1-0 victory was the U's only win in September we lost to Wigan and Peterborough and drew with Port Vale and Derby October started badly with a heavy 4-0 defeat at home to Barnsley and the TV cameras were back for their away trip to Burton Albion this time, the U's lost by two goals to one. Their head coach said that his players left themselves too much to do after going two down. To go in at half-time in that position, we needed more aggression in the, in the second half. We needed more of a front-footed attitude um, rather than just almost seeing where the game went, grab it by the scruff of the neck. We did it miles better in the second half, but you give yourself too much of a mountain to climb when you, when you fall behind against a team like that. In November, the U's Chief Executive Officer Alex Tunbridge revealed the club as in a better place financially and on course to become sustainable. Tunbridge also told Cambridge 105 Radio that season ticket sales are up, there are plans to improve the training facilities and the club wants to increase the stadium capacity to 12,000 within three to five years. He says things are moving forward and money is being spent wisely. We've got an agreement in principle which will see a new supporters club built at the front of their existing lands with the rear of the existing land where the current supporters club is being gifted back to the football club and uh, then being used for the stadium development and the expansion of the NRE. So it needs to go to an EGM, there'll be some legal work to do as well but hopefully we'll be in a position by the start of November where that's been ratified and then we can get on with the final legal bits and, um, and move forward with the projects. We need to work with the neighbours, we need to work with um, all kinds of people to make sure that not only do we increase the capacity but we build a facility that's going to benefit the community, particularly the Abbey Ward. Um, we know about the levels of deprivation here and if we can build in facilities into this stadium development that's going to benefit them, then we think that's an important thing we should do. It's fantastic that the supporters club and, and their members have, have voted for the proposal which will see us build a new club at the front of their land and, and the rear land gifted to us to develop the NRA in the Habin. In terms of the projects, we want to get a planning application in by the middle of next summer and that will be a full site development. We'll be looking to release our plans early in the new year to supporters. There'll be a period of consultation with supporters and stakeholders and then it's probably a five-year project to, to do all of it in terms of the Habin, the NRE and the supporters club. But even bigger news was to come in November, and it was something that upset many fans. After a run of one win in 13 games, Bonner was sacked despite signing a long-term contract in September. The 3-0 defeat against Lincoln was the match that sealed his fate, and he left the club in 18th position, four points above the drop zone. In that run, the U's only victory came at home to Carlisle, and their losses included a 5-0 thumping at Peterborough. In his last interview as Cambridge boss, Bonner admitted things were not looking good. It's a poor defeat for us, really, against a, against a decent side, but um, you know we're, we're having a tough time at the moment for results and a few individuals for, for little bits of quality that we need. We're, uh, we're struggling a little bit. Bonner has a very long association with Cambridge United and he worked his way up to the top job. After taking temporary charge in early 2020 following Colin Calderwood's departure, he became head coach on a permanent basis and the club were promoted in his first full season in charge. 
Highs included that promotion and the 1-0 win over Newcastle in the FA Cup early last year. Plus, he masterminded the famous Great Escape last season. Here's football analyst Tim Armitage again. It's interesting. I, I was shocked we actually did it, but in a but probably not a surprise. I think it was one win in 13 before Lincoln uh, and another poor performance really sealed his fate. It's difficult because because it happened. We got very short notice that it was going to happen. Um, I think we got the email around about 10 and they said they were announcing it at 10 past 10. So it was one of those things that came up very quickly. I wonder whether there was a meeting after the Lincoln game um, to finalise it. But obviously they'd have been looking at it for a, for a while because of the, the poor performance. But the interesting thing is, of course, he's only just two months ago signed a long-term deal with them. Barry Corr and Kevin Betsy were put in temporary charge. Corr was gutted to see his former boss go. Bonds has been so, he's such a big figure for the club and he's so important to the club and everybody really, you know, is very fond of him. There was a, a, a really strange atmosphere and people were shocked and, and, and upset about it. But football just it happens quick and you just got to get yourself going again and, and that's it. But who would replace Bonner long term? Danny Cowley and Gareth Ainsworth were among the early bookies' favourites, but they eventually chose Neil Harris, who was appointed on December the 6th. The former Cambridge City striker led Millwall's promotion in 2017, and in the same season he took the Lions to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup. Harris has also managed Cardiff, and most recently Gillingham. In his first interview as Hughes head coach, he said he wanted to hit the ground running. For me it's about building confidence quickly, trying to bring a little bit of continuity in my messages, in team selection if possible, barring injuries and suspensions obviously, but trying to build foundations quickly within the group. And that means at the moment making sure we try and eradicate the fear of the bottom four, but also trying to push up the league as well. He took great encouragement from his first game in charge of the U's, a 2-2 draw away at Charlton. And the way we built play was outstanding. We, you know, we, we passed the ball, we ran forward, we passed forward, we put balls in the box, we fought set plays, there was a danger on set plays. But, and ultimately, with just that final end product, or a little bit of luck, we could have had those three or four goals. It didn't materialise. But then 15 minutes to go, you know, once we adjusted the shape, we looked a real threat again. And again, character, but the quality as well. The quality was really, really good at times. Off the pitch, the youths continued to run community football sessions, including a weekly one for people who struggle with their mental health. Phil Mullin leads them. I would say, yes, it's been a huge success into how it helps individuals come along, play football in a fun, safe environment. Gives them the chance to be social, make friends, and also form a little support group for each other. And in September, the club revealed its new crest after months of consultation. In February, the U's under-18s were handed a dream FA Youth Cup quarter-final tie with Arsenal at the Emirates Stadium. Cambridge United's youngsters beat the likes of Stevenage, Portsmouth, Chelsea and Sheffield Wednesday to earn a spot in the last eight of the competition for the first time. Ethan Nwaneri put the Gunners ahead, but the U's equalised through Josh Robinson's own goal, and the scores were level at one each at half-time. Jimmy Unwin's side dared to dream when Kai Yearn put them 2-1 up with little over 20 minutes left, but late goals from Amari Kozia dubri and Michael Roshak saw Arsenal steal a 3-2 win. And the U's women's team ended the 22-23 season in 8th place in the Division 1 South East. Darren Marjoram's side have already beaten last season's points tally of 14. They reached 18 in their first 10 matches of this campaign. Marjoram had a busy summer, recruiting no fewer than 7 new players and promoted 3 more from the development team. They got off to a bumpy start with a 5-0 home defeat in the League Cup against Norwich. But things have picked up and back-to-back -back wins over Ashford and London Seawood in recent matches have given Marjoram reason to be optimistic. Ashford, tough side to beat, really good players, 
they know what they're doing they're well drilled they're well organised and you know firstly for us to score four against them I think was, was phenomenal because not many teams that will go and do that this season um, two worldy free kicks so although the scores 4-3 you know I, I think their chance count really was pretty much everything they scored whereas we had others so really pleased with that one and then Seawood on a, on a Thursday night is always going to be tough Cambridge 105 Radio Still to come we hear about Cambridge City's crowdfunding efforts and find out why it was all change at Histon in 2023 and why promotion push is not out of the question. This is Cambridge 105 Radio and you're listening to Rewind 2023 Sports. Staying with football, Cambridge City's move to Sawson is still on the horizon and kind-hearted fans, businesses and even their CEO Adam White dipped into their pockets to help them with a crowdfunding campaign to raise money for changing rooms and other facilities at the new stadium. The club set a target of just over £43,000 in August and reached it in just two months. Alice Dewey is their general manager. It's a large building, two floors, lots of different rooms that will allow us to become a community hub for the local area. Um, And there's so many people wanting to get in there and using it, whether it's businesses for business meetings or community groups, crafting groups, etc. All sorts. And we can't wait to get everybody in there and using it. Could 2024 be the year they finally move in? For now, Westwood Road at St Ives remains their home from home. The new stadium has already had a few visitors, though, with Cubs from the first Sawston Scout group popping in in October for a guided tour. And the changing rooms arrived in early December, and they'll be installed once the internal fit-out has been finished. City finished the 2022-23 season nine points clear of the relegation zone despite a run of just one win from their last seven matches. Their first game of 2023 ended in a 2-1 defeat against Deerham, but they went into the final day of the season already safe despite a 4-0 loss at home to Chasetown. Their survival owed much to the goals of veteran striker Dan Cotton, who scored 11 in all competitions at the back end of last season. Manager Robbie Nightingale held the impact the 34-year-old made. I think he's been absolutely outstanding, you know, for a lad that's 34 years old um, to come in and, you know, he'd played, I think, 12 games, 14 games. He actually hadn't scored a goal. He's come in with us, scored 15 in 25. So, you know, fantastic sort of uh, return. For someone of his age, and and you know we're we're you know we're thoroughly looking forward to having him with us again next year. Over the summer, boss Robbie Nightingale bought an experienced goalkeeper Dan George, centre back Richard Black, Joe Hood, Ryan Swift, Stan Leach, Steph Broccoli, and promoted Caleb Chandler from the youth setup. Ben Nolan and Jared Robson were among the departures, but Nightingale stayed loyal to many of the players who were at the club last season. City's manager was especially thrilled to bring Broccoli in after he impressed at Spalding last term. He would come in and and provide us with different type of playing in the 10. You know, he's somebody that you can play through. He's a strong runner of the ball. He's not particularly big, but he's technically very, very good. You know, he was at Peterborough, went to Newcastle, come back, and he's he's played a lot of football over the last two years. And, you know, we were over the moon when he decided to come and join us. The 23-24 campaign got off to a bizarre start for the Lily Whites. They took on Hadley United in their first game of the season in the FA Cup Extra Preliminary Round, but the game was abandoned at half-time due to a waterlogged pitch. City had led 3-0 thanks to goals from Cotton, Broccoli and Mikey Davis before the game was stopped. Robbie Nightingale was left frustrated. Look, the fact that we started the game in the conditions and the pitch was, you know, it was wet to start with. The fact that people are out forking a pitch before a game that then disappear at half-time, that was a little bit disappointing for me and I know that people say oh, it was really heavy but it was really heavy from 1.30 when we turned up so it was really heavy throughout but look, it is what it is. But the story did have a happy ending. Three days later the teams did battle again and City won 3-2 despite trailing at half time. 
Their first league game of 23-24 ended in victory too, as a youthful 11 earned a 3-2 triumph over Grizzly Rovers. Nightingale urges players to carry the momentum forward into their next game with Harborough. We haven't had a victory on the first day for a, for a very long time, so it's really nice to start the season with a win and, and a good performance in the majority of it. So, you know, we go again on Tuesday, and so there's lots to be pleased with on that front. You know, hopefully we can take that into Tuesday and, you know, just sharpen up ourselves with, with a few bits, and hopefully we can give Harborough, a strong Harborough team, you know, plenty to be worried about. The Lily Whites lost 3-1 at Harborough, and September saw them play just one league game due to FA Cup and FA Trophy commitments. Their FA Cup run this season has been particularly impressive, with the club reaching the third qualifying round after seeing off Newmarket, Leighton Town and Biggleswade. City's run came to an end with a 3-0 away defeat to National League North side Hereford, who themselves went on to make the first round proper. Nightingale, though, felt his side could have done better on the day. You know, they, they took their chances. You know, Joe's not had an awful lot to do um, in our goal. You know, so, you know, it was one of those where, you know, we were all fairly disappointed when we got in the change room because we thought, you know, we, we didn't really compete to the level that we've, we've competed at. Certainly, yeah, the last sort of month. And so that was probably the, the disappointing thing. But, you know, these things are always going to come to an end. And, you know, it was a good crowd. There was a great atmosphere in the stadium. And, you know, I said to the lads, you know, they're the types of games that you want to be involved in. And Leighton got their revenge by knocking them out of the FA Trophy in the second qualifying round. City have struggled for consistency so far this season, but have impressed with convincing wins over Rugby Town and Shepshed Dynamo. The manager was especially thrilled with a 4-1 victory over Dynamo, given they'd conceded two late goals in their game with Coles Hill prior to it. You know, in, in my sort of six, seven years in charge, that's probably the best footballing performance I've had. You know, and it was a great, you know, we, we, we tore Shepshed apart every time we went forward, the movement, the the one-twos and the combinations around the box. They just they just couldn't live with us. The Lily Whites then lost against Bolton Calcer, Boldmere St Michaels, Lytown and Hinkley to round off a frustrating November where they picked up just three points from a possible 15. They've been languishing at the wrong end of the table for much of this season. It's been a tough start to the new season for the ladies' side. Last season they picked up just seven points and lost both derby games to rivals Cambridge United. No one was relegated from the division in 22-23, but two sides will go down this year. City have been managerless for part of the new season after sacking Fadi Masloom and Paul Burling has been in temporary charge. City ladies have suffered some heavy defeats including an 8-3 reverse against Chesham, but City held Cambridge United to a goalless draw in October and got their first win of the season against Haywards Heath in November. Serving our University City and South Cambridgeshire. This is Cambridge 105 Radio. Over at Histon, it was all changing 2023, with the biggest story of the year being the departure of manager Lance Key. After seven years in charge, the club legend was shown the door after just one win in their opening ten league games. His sacking marked the end of an era. Mark Critoff and Simon Day, both members of Key's coaching staff, also left the club. He admitted the Stutes had been underachieving, and his sacking wasn't a huge surprise. Obviously, it's disappointing from our point of view. Um, we didn't fulfil our ambitions this year instead of what we wanted as a management squad. So there was no sort of hidden agenda anywhere. It was just one of those things that, you know, hadn't worked for this year and the club have new people on the board they have different kind of directions that they want to go in this now um, and I fully accept that and obviously we've we've uh, we've let the club down this year in terms of, of not being able to perform like we would like to. Under Key, the Stutes were promoted once but relegated twice, most recently in 2022. Key enjoyed being in charge of the club he says he was destined to manage, having joined Histon for the first time in 1986. It's been, a, it's been an enjoyable ride to I mean, it's been a place like highs and lows but you know, certainly from a, a football club perspective, it has got a big piece of my heart. It's, it is one of those things that every, every good thing has to come to an end. And, you know, I can certainly say that we've 
we've done everything we possibly can this year and every year we've been at the club and sometimes it's just not meant to be. He also has fond memories from his spells as a player and manager. I have some very fond memories of the football club, you know, that we obviously been in the league is one of them, but obviously the FA Vars won that same year. Myself winning, you know, the Southern Premier, the Conference South, you know, with the, with the club. There's, there's a lot to, to remember from the football club and it's given me a lot and hopefully I've given a lot back to him. Key's final full season in charge saw Histon finish sixth in the United Counties Premier League Division South. They went on a run of seven wins from eight between February and March, but it wasn't enough to secure one of the two automatic promotion spots. But a return to the eighth tier might be more of a realistic prospect now due to some restructuring of the lower leagues. Rather than two automatic promotion places, there'll be playoffs for the teams finishing between second and fifth. Over the summer, some old familiar faces returned. Lewis Mayer and Matty Allen, both former Stutes, rejoined the club prior to Key's departure. Just like rivals Cambridge City, Histon also had to deal with an early season match abandonment, and it was also in the FA Cup. They were leading Ipswich Wanderers 1-0, but the game was stopped due to a waterlogged pitch. Histon lost the rescheduled match 3-0. Their 23-24 season got underway in July and it took them until late August to register a win in any competition, a 4-3 victory over Great Yarmouth in the FA Vars. It was back-to-back defeats against Ainsbury Rovers in September that sealed Key's fate and the club needed a new manager and in October they got their man. Step forward, former player Chris Nunn. I mean, Histon's a, a great club. Um, you know, you've only got to go back a few years. I remember beating, obviously seeing beat Leeds in the FA Cup and, um, you know, obviously getting close to making it into the Football League and, you know, I, I was really blown away by John, uh, the chairman and, you know, his, his plans that he's got for the club um, going forward and, uh, yeah, when we had the conversation, yeah, it sort of went really well so, you know, I'm really pleased to be on board. None is perhaps a familiar face to Histon fans. He managed one-time league rivals AFC Rushton and Diamonds and Biggleswade for 14 years, taking them from Step 5 to Step 3. None left the Diamonds, who themselves had a bad start to the season, by mutual consent on October the 12th and joined Histon the next day. The new manager believes he's got what it takes. What I will do is, in terms of, as a manager, is trying to create an environment where, you know, we, we try and do things right, both on and off the pitch, how we conduct ourselves. And, uh, you know, I've got, I've got no doubt in my mind I'm going to back myself to uh, get Histon to climb the league. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a quick fix. But the thing is, I judge myself in terms of as a manager, what I've done over the last 25 years, not what I've done over the last two months. Nunn's CV suggests he could be the man to take Histon back up the league pyramid. As soon as he arrived, he got straight down to business, signing defender Jake Kerrins from the Diamonds and striker Jim Burnside. But his opening game was a baptism of fire, a 5-0 defeat to Daventry. Nunn says he learnt a lot from that game. There was a period where we were quite gung-ho, and it sort of it killed us. You know, we got three goals in six minutes. So we've now got to try and manage the game better in them situations. So try and take the heat of the game when you when it goes 2-0, instead of, you know, you're running to get the ball when the ball goes out of play, you're taking quick free kicks, you're taking quick throw-ins, and it's like, just take your time. But evidence of improvement was there for all to see in the games following the Daventry defeat. Histon went on a four-game unbeaten run in all competitions, winning three of them. The high point was a 6-0 home win over Rugby Borough in mid-November. They need a strong start to 2024 if this season is to end in promotion. And a promotion is something the Stutes ladies managed last season, and they returned to the sixth tier after a two-year absence. Elsewhere in local football, Camborne Town FC were named FA Grassroots Club of the Year and its staff and players got a trip to Wembley as a reward. Emma Smith is the club's joint secretary. The actual club itself was formed two years ago. So yeah, we are very, very lucky that we have won this award so quickly and very humbled as well. There's thousands of clubs out there that do anything just as good as what we do, if not better. And the lives of two former Cambridgeshire footballers who lost their lives to bowel cancer were honoured in a special event at St Ives Town Football Club. 
Charlene Martin and Sam Isaacson were popular and influential figures in the women's game through their efforts on and off the pitch. The Kit Cancer Cup, which launched in 2015, was played for the final time in 2023 at Westwood Road in aid of Arthur Rank Hospice. Victoria Howe was on the organising committee for the match, which raised more than £1,000. She spoke to Cambridge 105 Radio prior to kickoff. We just want as many people to come along, enjoy the football match. We've also got a raffle going on with some really great prizes. We've got um, cakes for sale. We've got half-time entertainment. So we're really trying to make this last Kit Cancer Cup the best ever in memory of Sam and Charlene. We're going to do them proud. Coming up, we turn our attention to Rugby Union and find out how one of our teams marked their anniversary year in style and who got bragging rights at Twickenham in the varsity game. Cambridge 105 Radio You're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio across the city and South Cambridgeshire and this is Rewind 2023 Sports. In Rugby Union, Cambridge IOFC celebrated its centenary in 2023 and marked their 100-year anniversary by getting promoted to the championship for the first time ever. The Blood and Sand went into the final day, needing a bonus point win over Birmingham Mosley at Grantchester Road and won 59-10, meaning they pipped Rams to the title on points difference. There was euphoria at full-time. Chris Heal of National League Rugby describes the closing stages. Four minutes over the 18, the crowd around me getting a bit fractious. They want to start this celebrations. They want to start the party and it now will be Cambridge looking to uh, kick the ball out it will be Steph James and there we have it Cambridge have won the national one they are promoted to the championship Richie Williams is the club's director of rugby it's taken us a number of seasons to reach the championship level in which we're operating at the moment it's the the highest level the club have ever competed at and for me it marked a you know, a, a really strong sort of five years in charge at the club. We, we were on a, a massive journey from the first season where we avoided relegation. A 31-10 victory at Plymouth Albion the week before set the scene for that epic final day at Grantchester Road. Williams says he was delighted to go into the final match of the season with their destiny in their own hands. We managed to go down there and pick up a win and a bonus point. And then we knew that if we could win the last game against Birmingham Mosley and also get a bonus point, then we'd win the league. So... I think testament again to the the hard work the players put in last season, the resolve, the character that they showed, particularly in that period after Christmas where we we knew that any slip-up, any dropping of points would mean that we probably wouldn't win the league. So to do that and to go on that, that winning run made it even more special then on that last Saturday of the season. I felt that we'd, we'd given ourselves a really strong chance of winning the league. I was probably more nervous before the, the penultimate weekend when we played Plymouth. And the, the hope and the expectation going into that last weekend was that the, the players would execute their job and, and get the win and the five points. But I think there was a, a mixture of, of relief, you know, an overriding sense of happiness as well. Promotion was certainly something that Cambridge IUFC deserved. They won 13 out of 14 in the league at the back end of the 22-23 season with title rivals Rams, the only team to beat them. And after a season spent chasing down Rams and Sale FC, the Blood and Sand were promoted from National One. Williams says their success was a fitting way to mark the club's centenary. It was a perfect way, really, to to win the league last season. It was well documented that the club would be going into their centenary year this season. So it was a, a fantastic way to reward all of the hard work that has gone in over the last hundred years. You know, that there's been a, a real legacy which has been left now with the club operating in the second tier of English rugby. It, it's only something that probably could have been dreamt of a long time ago. But again, I think it's testament to the, the hard work that lots of people have put in behind the scenes. 
The club spent the summer strengthening, and the new arrivals included Elias Caven from Glasgow Warriors and the former Newcastle Falcons Academy player Logan Noble. Williams also persuaded stalwarts Joe Tarrant and Joe Green to stay, and Kwaku Asaidu, the league's top try scorer last season, was also retained for the 23-24 season. I felt that it, it was probably fair for the players that got us to this level to give them an opportunity to play championship rugby, which which a number of them have never done before. So that, that was high on my agenda. I also felt that keeping some continuity and consistency within our squad would be really helpful going into a, a league against some of the, the full-time professional teams. But equally, we recognise the need to give or have a little bit more strength and depth. Promotion to the championship for this season brings with it a new competition for the Blood and Sand, the Premiership Rugby Cup. They began this season with a trip to Doncaster Knights in the Cup, a game Williams was excited about. Yeah, that's that's going to be a cracker of a league this season, but we, we've got to remember now we're not in that league anymore. We, we won National 1 last season. We're now in uh, you know the, the, the big boys league of the championship and we're starting with this, this, this really exciting Premiership Cup competition. Cambridge lost their first six games in the championship, but there's no relegation this season due to the Jersey Reds dropping out of the league. Williams believes his side, who now compete against full-time professional clubs, will come good in the second half of the season. It's been a, a significant step up to, to what we've been used to. And, and I think it's it's players and everybody having a slightly different mindset this season. We're fully aware of, of where we are in the league and the difference between the likes of Ealing, Doncaster, who are the full-time professional teams in the league, and ourselves. There's almost a league within a league that we're operating in, but... For us, we, we wanted to stay true to, to what we were about as a group. Across the city, Shelford finished a creditable second in the Regional 1 South East last season following their promotion in 2022. The Peacocks finished 18 points behind Westcombe Park, who had a vastly superior points difference and more bonus point victories. The director of rugby, Will Cottrell, says it was no bad thing that the club stabilised themselves in the league and was delighted to be the best of the rest behind the champions. You always want to win. You'd love to be promoted all the time, but very much look at the you know take a holistic view at Shelford. Every time you go up the the leagues now, and and you know for us the next stop is national leagues. It does put financial pressure on the club as well as as rugby pressure, and we're very proud of of being a community rugby club and making sure that we can fund all the all the squads right the way from the under sixes all the way up to the first fifteen men. So I think a, a back to back promotion would have been a bit too much of an ask. And what else has Cottrell learned from the 2022-23 season? You know, Westcombe Park got off to a cracking start and, and deservedly got promoted. But one of our goals was to beat every team in that league, and we did. So, um, you know, we lost a couple of games. Potentially, we shouldn't have lost, but we were very uh, proud to have beaten every team we played against in that league, including Westcombe Park, and that was one hell of a game. This term, the Davyfield outfit began with six wins from their opening 11 matches, despite losing to Harpenden and Colchester early on in the new campaign. What does the director of rugby set out to do in 2024? Colchester are the team, uh, the team to beat. They are on form. They're playing some very good rugby. Uh, they have got a uh, you know a commercial model that will support a team going up into the national national leagues, which is great. Um, so for us now, it's about um, doing better than last year. If I can get the guys to we we lost six drew one uh one fifteen so if we can try and get a record that's a bit better than that maybe um that would be nice it would be nice to beat every team in the league and it would be nice definitely to finish in that top four this season just to show that we're still very much in the mix the cantabs managed a mid-table finish in the county's one eastern division last season and began this season with six wins from their first nine 
In 2023, Oxford and Cambridge met in their annual rugby union match at Twickenham in the first big varsity event in the calendar. Light Blue stars Tom Malloy and Fergus Hughes told Matt Griffiths that they wanted to get their crown back. It'll be a pretty surreal moment, I think. Kind of looking back through being so passionate about rugby my whole life, I've seen so many games played at Twickenham. You see the Wallabies play there, seen the Barbars play there, recently watched England versus Italy there, and just seeing kind of just is what they call rugby HQ over here. Don't yeah, they? yeah, HQ. Um, there's not, there's not much <laughs> like that um, back in Oz in terms of stadiums. So. I think it'd be pretty amazing to step out there, especially with some some close mates. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's been hard not to sort of, you know, you try and forget about it because you know you know you haven't been selected yet, but it's been really hard to sort of plug that out with it being such a big stage. Yeah. And obviously me growing up, sort of, my dad was a Cambridge man, so sort of growing up watching a bit of the varsity at Twickenham as well. He's, oh yeah. It's kind of always been in my ears since I started playing rugby. Cambridge triumphed in the fixture for the first time since 2019, thanks largely to Jamie Benson, who scored the decisive try in the 15-10 victory. But the women's team were beaten 31-12. Coming up, we look back at more memorable moments from the varsity fixtures, including a clean sweep in the boat race. And we meet the Cambridge runner, who stands out from the crowd. You're listening to Cambridge 105 Radio, and this is our review of the year in local sport. The Universities of Oxford and Cambridge renewed their rivalry in 2023, and earlier on we look back at the rugby union matches at Twickenham. Many more athletes studying in our university city took part in varsity matches during the year, including Cambridge's netballers who took on their Oxford counterparts again. Captain Alex Telford spoke to Matt Griffiths in the build-up to the match. Like, this season has been really fun um, and really good. Like, the teams are progressing really well. Um, our force team currently plays in, like, local, like, teams, which is really fun. They've been absolutely smashing it. They played ARU ones last night and they lost by one. Oh. Um, our threes are on track for promotion. Our twos are like battling quite a quite a strong competition in Division Two of the uh, British University and College Sport, and our ones recently promoted to Division One last year, absolutely storming it. And Telford had good reason to be optimistic as her side won 51-45. But the biggest varsity breaking rights of all went to the rowers at the boat race, with Cambridge managing a clean sweep. For only the third time in history, Cambridge won all the university boat races, something they've only managed previously in 1993 and 2018. Here are some of the key people who led Cambridge to their victories. I'm Seb Benzagree. I'm a rower here at Cambridge University Boat Club. I'm the open weight men's president. My name's Rob Baker, chief coach for the Cambridge University Men's Boat Club. I'm Paddy Ryan, chief coach of Cambridge University Boat Club, the women's program. Hi, my name is Jenna Armstrong. I am currently the open weight president on the women's side at Cambridge University Boat Club. The women's team won by an impressive four and a half lengths. That win means the women lead 47-30 in the all-time head-to-head, and this was their sixth consecutive triumph in the annual contest. Their chief coach, Paddy Ryan, talks us through the race. Took a bit of a gamble and went for the outside of the bend, even though we knew there would be less stream. So as we came through that bend, it was all looking quite positive, you know, neck and neck. I know that around two minutes, we're going to really continue to drive home our rhythm. And so I was, I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident that from our fixtures and stuff that we're going to hold pace, and if they can stay with us, then... We're up for a great race. And then as we're coming towards Hammersmith Bridge, which is about a third of the way into the race, the the umpire is always right. And so we we drifted across the umpire's line of sight and started to drift to in front of Impede Oxford. And we were cleared at that time. And now they took, in the rules of the race, they took a massive opportunity. It's like, well, if they're in front and they're being warned, then Oxford have an opportunity to do what they call um, 
a, a bump would essentially touch our boat, which would immediate result in an immediate disqualification. So that's what they went for. And as you can see from the TV, um, just up there on Harrods Wall, it was pretty close. And the James, the Cox, did a nice little manoeuvre to cut back across to his station and Oxford followed. But, you know, we're still under warning, so Oxford continued to, to come after us. It's a, a fairly intense you know you're running on the red line so if you can survive things like that especially when a massive push like that from oxford you know you're going to be in a pretty good position coming out of it if you can survive it so that was the winning move we managed to survive their big push and they'd thrown everything at it and gone over into that big red line and uh, as a result the the margin just blew out from there Jenna Armstrong is the women's president and says her team needed great character to extend their winning run. I do think we were slight favourites to win. Um, our fixtures, a couple of them had gone quite well. So I think, you know, there were the classic pre-race jitters and that sort of thing. But, you know, for the most part, we tried really hard to keep it really relaxed and, you know, keep the day of the race, you know, obviously embrace the excitement of the day. But at the end of the day, it was just another day and we had practiced this so many times. Um, and so we just tried to keep it as normal as possible. And we practice that routine so frequently that it did actually feel very similar to what we do every day by the time, you know, of course there were more crowds and other things, but, you know, we, we tried to just stay relaxed and you know, keep it pretty normal. I do actually think I had the last word before we went out and it was something along the lines of like toot toot, which I always say before we do any sort of pieces, just to kind of remind each other of like, let's go out, let's have fun and let's, let's just do the best we can kind of like a bit of like a freight train type of thing. And, um, you know, at least I did. I had a load of fun. Um, and I, I think the rest of the crew did. The boat race requires rowers to be physically and mentally strong. So how did the women's team get ready for the race? Paddy reveals more about his crew's pre and post Christmas preparations. We then broke up for Christmas and came back with our training camp. And we had a few ups and downs and sort of in terms of we didn't have a, you know, we raced Oxford Brooks and had a, a poor result there. But in some ways, that was what we needed. We needed that bit of a kick up the backside to really sort of turn around and really focus in and, and you know, realise that the women have won there against Oxford since 2017. And so it's, there's a quite of a legacy there of, of winning. An hour later, over on the men's race, the Light Blues won by a smaller one and a third length margin. And their head-to-head record now stands at 86-81 in their favour. It got off to a lively start, as men's chief coach Rob Baker explains. You know, I think the crew's got off fairly even. And then as we approached uh, sort of a minute and a half in, as we're coming up towards the football ground, we started approaching some rough water. And, um, you know, at this point, our cock, Jasper, well, a little bit into this point, probably two minutes in, Jasper took the decision to cut the bend, which is quite a quite a controversial decision. Um, the fastest water is, in theory, down the middle of the river because the tide runs centrally. So the crews really are battling for this fast water in the middle of the river. Just decided that because the, the conditions were rough, that he would cut the bend and try and take advantage. And, you know, over the course of the next minute or so, that proved to be a really good decision. And we were able to eke out into a lead where we were able to get clear water and get in front, which is sort of the key piece in the boat race. And, you know, from there on, really i guess a big part of the race was defending really and holding on to that position and that's i think probably where we were at and, and the way we raced the race was to get that advantage get in front and then sort of defend it and and try and hold that quite small advantage but hold that advantage nonetheless yeah and that's pretty much what happened then down the rest of the track and we were able to hold that we were able to stay in front get pressured at a few points and yeah managed to go over the line first Men's team president Seb Benzagree describes the moment his blue boat crew crossed the winning line. To cross the line having won our race 
um, and to feel the kind of, I don't know, the, the ecstasy of that, and then to be told that everyone else had also won their race, that we, we'd got the clean sweep. That is, you know, it was, it was just a moment that, uh, that I'll never really forget. It's kind of indescribable just seeing everyone, you know, having put in so much work. Preparation is always key for such a huge event, and with crowds watching, as well as potentially millions of viewers on television, the pressure is huge. Here's Rob Baker again. This year we started at late August, actually. Late August, early September. We have a big squad to start with. The squad gets whittled down to, to more like the racing size. As the year goes on, uh, we train 12 times a week. We have one day off and they train twice um, every other day of the week, alongside obviously their studies, which are rigorous to say the least. The men's crew won their crown back after losing it in 2022 and this year's triumph was their fourth in the last five years. The women retained their title to make it six wins in a row. The last time they lost the boat race was 2016. Seb, Paddy, Rob and Jenna share their highlights from the day. The shutters on the bay doors are down so you can't actually see outside, you can't see what's happening on the embankment. And then... You're sort of standing there waiting to get the boat out. Everyone's got their hands on the boats and the shutters go up and you're just hit by this, this wall of noise. The hugs on the bank, you know, the, when they're all just, just hugging each other and, you know, congratulating and saying well done. And, you know, that part between crossing the finish line and being on stage. You know, being on stage is special and being in the race is, is special. Watching the race, all great, but watching the pure emotions of that period when you land and when all the then the official ceremonies start is just watching just the genuine joy going across the line and seeing the guys afterwards and you know having that sense that everything we've put put in has, has worked and it's paid off and that everyone can go away from that year thinking that knowing that they've won the race and that that's something they'll live with for the rest of their lives so honestly i think it was pulling in to the um you know, pulling into the sidelines. And so we had our lightweights that agreed us. We had, you know, a lot of our supporters that were that kind of there on the banks. Um, and we could finally get out of the boat and just like hug each other and be around each other, you know, because you cross the finish line and really the only people you can reach is the person in front of you and the person behind you. Serving our university city and South Cambridgeshire. This is Cambridge 105 Radio. In this final part of the show, we turn our attention to some more stories involving our teams and sports people. In athletics, Cambridge athlete Jonathan Escalante Phillips was one of just 30 UK athletes to take part in the World Road 5K Championship Trials in Newcastle. The Coleridge runner tells Gavin Richards about his impressive results in the competition and his distinctive fashion sense. Although there were a number of athletes invited, I think there were actually only 12 who managed it on the start line. Um, so it was quite a quite a tense affair, um, but um, I had my little stint at the front before the, the big guys, big guns took over. Um, but I was very happy with the sixth place. It was it was fantastic to see you coming uh, over the line sixth on uh, on BBC Sport yesterday. Um, how did you cope in the heat? Because was it as sultry and muggy in Newcastle as it was in Cambridge yesterday? It was a little cooler up there, I have to say. I think oh, we, good. Were, we were lucky and a little bit of shade to help us round with the bridges. But it, it, it was still pretty warm. I think I run fairly well in the heat. I, I don't mind running in the heat and I, I try to make sure that I've, I've practised uh, running under all sorts of different conditions. But 5k, it's not too bad. Um, if it was maybe a 10k or a half marathon, I would have had to think a bit more carefully about how to stay cool. Your shorts were quite a talking point, weren't they, for the TV commentators yesterday? Um, I tried to turn down the volume on the telly, to be honest, uh, with those. What was, what was going on with your shorts? I think it's uh, it's, it's something that I, I it's sort of a, I'm known for my my, my jazzy shorts. Um, <laughs> I think it perhaps all started from uh, when my mother couldn't see me 
in the races and um, so I thought well I'll, I'll, I'll wear something to stand out and it's kind of just stuck from stuck from there there's no, no chance of uh, not seeing you now tell, tell us about your running journey so far then a little bit uh, Jonathan what, what's the sort of the background how, how did you get to this point it's been a fairly long journey Gavin it's uh, I, I started in my last year of sixth form and I've just gradually sort of progressed from there it's been a fairly consistent journey of progression no sort of real big sort of standout jumps each any, in any particular year. Um, I've been very fortunate to be part of, of a very supportive and strong uh, running club here in Cambridge, Cambridge and Coleridge. And we have a fantastic group that's really grown over the years, um, which has helped develop me uh, both athletically and, and personally. I've made some fantastic friendships there. Staying with athletics, running enthusiasts from across the city, South Cambridgeshire and beyond took part in local running events such as the Town and Gown 10K race and the Cambridge Half Marathon. Neil Tween was one of them. He won the North Stoke Half Marathon, an event supported by Cambridge 105 Radio. Well, um, it was quite tough out there. It was uh, it's quite off road and uh, you know kind of quite hard. But um, I, I did go by my house at about ten miles actually, and it was quite tempting to go and have a cup of tea. But um, it was really good fun. It had been really well organised by Martin and the team, and it's good conditions today, so I really enjoyed it. In snooker, Cambridge-based Neil Robertson had a challenging 12 months, and his run of winning a trophy in every calendar year since 2006 came to an end in 2023. A semi-final appearance in the Shanghai Masters was his best performance, but due to homesickness, he will soon return to Australia for a year. In cricket in this season's domestic leagues, Cambridge St Giles won the first division, while in the second division, Sawston and Babram and Burwell and Exting were promoted. And in Division 3, Upward were the champions, and Cambridge NCI were promoted to Division 2 with them. NCI have also managed to find a groundsman to maintain their pitch, meaning that they can continue to play matches at Parker's Peace, something they've done for decades. Richard Young, who has played for NCI for 35 years, told Julian Clover that the playing service was noticeably better right from the start. We've had a couple of days where we've had the grounds and down, rolling and cutting, and, and even after two, uh, two occasions, uh, two, two days of rolling, it's, it's, it it's seems to be playing better. That's good. Am I we've only had one... Uh, I was going to say, am I right in thinking you played on Saturday, yeah, was it there? We had a sort of inter-club friendly knockabout, but a lot of people did say they were pleasantly surprised at uh, how it was playing. In motorsport, Cambridge driver Rob Huff returned to the British Touring Car Championship this year ahead of round one at Knockhill, but he managed just five points in ten races. But there was better news for Ben Barker, a veteran of the Le Mans 24-hour race. He secured his first ever podium finish with his team GR Racing. And the Cambridge Rollerbillies got their skates on and returned for another season. KP and Headers play for the team, which is open to female and non-binary players, and say the matchday environment is very welcoming. And it's a really good family-friendly environment. We do encourage families and young people especially to come down, particularly young girls who don't often get to see women playing sport, particularly contact sport. And it's a very inclusive environment. So if you've got gender expansive and trans and all young people, yeah, we like to see all kinds of people at our games. And that rounds up the year in local sport. I've been Daniel Baker and you've been listening to Cambridge 105 Radio and let's hope that our teams and athletes give us even more to celebrate in 2024.